On today's show, I am joined by my friend Glenn Willis of Peace Tree Hoops, ATL 29 podcast. Talk about where the Hawks are after two games against Boston as the series comes back to Atlanta for game three on Friday. As always, Glenn and I get into the specifics, the X's and O's, kind of where things go from here, and all of that is coming up right now. You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 1456 of the Locked on Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland, coming to you on a Wednesday evening into Thursday. And I'm joined on today's program, frequent guest, fantastic Hawks contributor, Glenn Willis of ATL and 29, Peachtree Hoops, and also the internet at large. Glenn, welcome back. <laughs> Hello. Thanks for having me, Brad. Yeah. Uh, playoff basketball is here. It's a fun time. Lots of basketball to watch in the first round. There is lots of basketball going on. There's basketball being played right now as we record this podcast. The Grizzlies just won um, without Ja. Uh, Milwaukee's up like 100 at the half against Miami without Giannis as we're recording this podcast. So lots of interesting stuff to hit on. Um, when we when I asked you to come on, and I appreciate you doing it always, um, we talked about it a few days ago, uh, kind of before the series started. Like, hey, let's, do, let's just sort of do a mid-series check-in. I'll start here. Like, I guess it's not surprising that the Hawks are down 0-2 because they were 10 point underdogs in both games. Like, you know, if you just do the math on that, the, you know, the median's probably somewhere between one and one and an and two and oh and two is where they are. I think maybe there's a little bit more uh, despair um, than usual because they got not, not necessarily blown out in both games, but both games got a little bit wonky. They were down 30 at the half in game one. They were down what I think 22 in the second half of game two after leading early. Um, so I guess we'll just start here. Like, how are you feeling about this series through two games? Clearly not, it's not going well for the Hawks and Boston is really good, but um, what's the appropriate level of panic slash despair as the Hawks return home for game three on Friday? Well, I, I think there's no panic if you kind of had your expectations in the appropriate place. Right. I think that, you know, the Celtics were overwhelming favorites in the series. You mentioned, uh, the way that uh, the you know uh, the the betting industry saw their odds in the first two games up in up in Boston, um, and so from that vantage point, not a real surprise. You know, I I suggested that they might get this series to six. Um, not feeling as good about that now personally. I, I mean, I'm not I don't I'm not emotionally invested in my predictions anyway. I don't really care. That was an intellectually honest answer. Um, but you know, they're coming home, and you know, and I think it's going to be a different element for them. Um, the biggest, th- there's lots of issues, challenges. We can kind of dig into those, but for me, a, a, you know, a takeaway that I have is that you know, last year against Miami, when they ran into difficulty, they, for the most part, never found a way to work through it, right? And once once the game kind of got askew, it kind of stayed askew for the most part, uh, apart from maybe a, a, a stretch of shot making, you know, Bogey making a couple threes, or you know, if that even happened, I mean, he, he was barely, you know, playable health wise last year. But but in, the, in this series, both games, right? They have found a way to get some stability multiple times, even in games that were really going down a very uh, negative path. And I think that speaks a little bit to some maturation that has happened since last year. I think it probably speaks a little bit to um, coaching. 
Um, it's a little easier with a new voice to kind of buy into things. Uh, and, and you and I have talked about the fact that I think Quinn's a, regardless of what you think of Nader Quinn, Quinn's probably, you know, for me, a much better fit with this roster, you know, the way it's kind of put together and things like that. So, it, you know, it makes me feel hopeful for the Hawks and for Hawks fans going into game three that they found some stretches of success. You know, the second half in game one was a good blueprint for them. They carried a lot of that over to the first quarter in game one. And then the Celtics just kind of stepped up their intensity and execution and kind of knocked them off their plan late and for the first quarter. But still, you know, the Hawks found a way to kind of threaten a bit, you know, later in the game. And and I think that speaks to the fact that they have something to work with where if they can kind of just keep their execution consistent, maybe they can, you know, get a game. And if you get one game, you know, you got to feel like, well, maybe we can get another game. And that's probably – you know, where they are, but Celtics playing really well and they deserve a lot of credit for what they've accomplished in the series so far. Um, and it's, it's hard to go up against them right now. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the, I think that's maybe even the biggest thing is what you said at the very top of that, like setting expectations rationally. And I think you and I were relatively high on the, ch- on the chances to be competitive in this series and not just get, you know, some of the national folks were picking four or five as the most part. And I get all that. I, I mean, Boston, I think we said it on our, on our sort of preview episode, like if this is Boston versus Atlanta with what they've been so far this year, Boston is that much better than what the Hawks have been this year. It's just that we kind of agree that the Hawks had underachieved relative to their talent level because they're fully healthy right now and all that they're deeper post deadline with Sadiq Bay, et cetera. But yeah, I, I think it's, on one hand, kind of encouraging that they didn't roll over neither game. Like, I mean, I said that on, on a on a show recently, and I got some feedback that was like I was being too nice, and I I meant what I said. I mean, a lot of teams would have maybe not necessarily quit, but you know, not not gotten back into game one. You're down thirty. You're down thirty at the half in game one on the road in Boston. That could have been totally out of hand. That could have been uncompetitive after the half, and it wasn't. And same thing in game two with as bad as. The Hawks played for about what 16 minutes after they took that that big lead in the first the 11 point lead in the first quarter. It could have got away from them again, and it and it kind of didn't. So that's a step forward. It's sort of grading on a curve for sure. And they've had issues on both ends of the floor in the series, which I'm sure we'll get into now. Uh, I'll throw this to you as well because I'm sure you remember it. Uh, I had someone ask me today that I would say is not just a, not just a normal observer right? and someone in the league. That was like, hey, do you remember that 2008 series against Boston when Boston just killed Atlanta every time in Boston, and then every game in Atlanta was a war, and it went and it went seven. And I said, well, yeah, I, I remember that series very well. But it was interesting to me that that was like, it, this is not by the way, this is not not even a Hawks person. This is a neutral observer person. And I was like, uh, I, I'm not sure this is exactly that situation. Uh, and not only that, that Celtics team won the championship that year and was really awesome. Um, but it made me think a little bit even more so like, you know, this could get interesting still. It's not like this. I think everyone's pronouncing this series over and I do understand why it's, I, I get it. And look, the Hawks are probably going to win the series, but I think that they can at least keep this interesting. Uh, is that kind of where you are as well? Obviously we'll get into kind of what's going on, but broadly speaking before we get you know, sort of more granular, does that make sense? Yeah. So I, I think the Celtics have set the bar. Celtics are playing fantastic. Yeah. Right. And so what does it take? Well, the Hawks have to stay composed, eliminate mistakes, um, you know, take care of the ball. Um, they have to uh, not uh, kind of lose their connectivity on defense. It kind of goes back to a lot of the fundamentals. And, you know, I've been joking with people that it's 
the things they're struggling with is the stuff that like Nate would really harp on, you know. So it's a little a little bit funny to me, you know, humorous to me that it's like, hey, the basics, you know, communicating on defense, you know, you know, pressure the ball, get up, and you know, and things like that. Um, but I still think the the stretches where they have uh, outscored them, I don't know if I want to say they played better than them, but where the stretches that were more favorable, you know, to to, to them, um, I think suggests that if they can play that well for longer stretches and when Boston kind of pushes back, not get knocked so much off plan where it takes so long to kind of try to get back on plan. I think they can be competitive in games three and four, and then we'll, we'll kind of see what happens. Um, I mean, I think you and I both know if the Celtics end up with a, a sweep here, it's not going to be a shocking outcome. It's not what I expect, no. but the Celtics are that good, you know, and, and the Hawks are, can't get on offense. The Hawks can't get to the Celtics just are not letting them kind of run their stuff. You know, Celtics are like, Nope, you're not doing that. Nope. You're not doing that. And the Hawks are really having to kind of figure out a plan C and you know, how they're kind of go about uh, creating shots. That's really hard. You know, that's something that not even the Bucks, you know, two years ago did against them. And that team went on to win the championship that season. And so this is a new problem set. A brand, in my mind, this is a problem that they never faced two years ago, the whole way to the Eastern Conference Finals. Yep. Celtics are on another level execution-wise, and um, and it's really hard. But I think the Hawks have enough juice that if they can overcome the ad, you know, adversity cycle more quickly at home, then I think we could see two competitive games here. Yeah, and I think – and again, we'll get into more depth, but um... – I think the only thing that will surprise me in terms of what happens in the next two games is if the Hawks get, get beat solidly both games. I feel like one of these games is going to be close, maybe both, but I will be a little bit surprised if there's not a game that has real crunch time in this series. That will surprise me. Now, could the Hawks lose that game? Sure. They could, uh, you know, once you get into a close game late, there's a clump development of things, even if you're the better team and the Hawks are not the better team in the series. So, um, but you know, game three is maybe the one you would circle. It's the very logical one in NBA circles where the where the um, underdog has the best chance in some ways. They're playing at home, probably a good crowd. You know, down to this, says they know they got to win. It's obviously a, a quote unquote must win. I love that must win scenario kind of thing. It's always funny to me. But everybody knows the deal on Friday. If they lose on Friday, the series is over. Everyone understands that. So that's probably your best setup for a competitive game, and we'll see. Um, oh, by the way, I, I pulled it up while we were talking about that. Too. I, I'm sure we have listeners that have no recollection at all of 2008. I know you do, Glenn. But uh, the Hawks lost in seven to Boston in that series. It was a 1-8 matchup. Boston won every game in Boston by at least 19 points, all four. Mm. And the Hawks won the three games in Atlanta by single digits. All, all, three, all, all three were close. So I'm not predicting that happens, but just for people that I realized that like that was a long time ago now, Glenn. We're old. Both I know. I, I, th I think I was 11 with that. No, <laughs> <laughs> no I, I have like a really searing memory of that because I was um, uh, running a consulting engagement with a, a big company in Long Island, New York at the time. And the project team was me from our Arlington, Virginia practice and eight people from our Boston practice. That sounds right. Yeah. Wow. That series. That was really fun. <laughs> it was, that was fun. really that fun. That's the sound of Pachulia, <laughs> nothing easy, all that stuff. If you're a if you're a younger person or a new Hawks fan, uh, watch some YouTube clips of that series. It was fun. All right, Clint. Before we get into some more granular activity with this series, a word from our sponsors on today's podcast. 
Today's show is sponsored by eBay Motors. For a championship team, it is all about making sure that every single player is a perfect fit for you. It's the same when it comes to your vehicle. Every part needs to fit just right for your car. And for the next time that you actually need parts or accessories, head to eBay Motors. With eBay Guaranteed Fit, you can be sure that every single part that you need fits right and does it the first time around. Just add your ride to My Garage, look at the green check to know that the part will fit or your money back. Because just like in sports, confidence is the name of the game when it comes to shopping on eBay Motors. And with 122 million parts to choose from, You'll be back in the game in absolutely no time. After all, it's actually easy to bring home a win when the right parts are guaranteed for you. Get the right parts, the right fit, and the right prices at ebaymotors.com. One more time, that is ebaymotors.com. Let's ride. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. All right, Glenn, I'm going to ask about the offense first. We'll dive in there a little bit. Um, it hasn't been good in the first two games. That's the simple version. They're, the numbers are really ugly. They have about 100 offensive rating. That's bad against anyone, even against a great defense. And we said it earlier, Boston's defense is playing incredibly well. That's that's important to emphasize. But the Hawks have not shot the ball well at all. And there was a debate, I'm sure you saw it or even participated in it after game one in particular, about like how much of this loss had to do with the Hawks shooting because it was so bad. It was better in game two. And I do think, all things equal, the Hawks probably, if you ran the simulation of the first two games, they would they would have made more shots than they've made in these first two games. There's a little bit of that. But... Boston's playing great, and I wonder what your impressions have been because, you know, the production is what it is, and you know, Trey struggles, the bench has been really bad, all that. Like, where, where's your mind go first about the offense? Because it, there's two-way issues, but offense is uh, probably the more surprising one in some respects because the Hawks are actually good on offense. They're not good <laughs> on defense, generally speaking. <laughs> right. Yeah, I mean, so for me, it kind of starts with, is there something they can do to help Trey give them more on offense, yeah. right? Um, that's really hard, you know, from an X's and O's perspective, when I kind of look at it, I'm not an NBA coach, so, you know, it's very well could be that Quinn and his staff see a lot of things that I don't see that's, you know, quite possible and maybe probable. Um, but, you know, two years ago, Knicks ran a conservative drop coverage. The Sixers ran a conservative drop coverage. The Bucks kind of mixed it up, but it was still like a lot of drop coverage with Brooke Lopez. And it's funny that the Celtics are running a good bit of drop coverage here uh, in this series, um, but they're doing it with the best set of on-ball defenders, guards, and wings that any team you know in the league has. So even though Al is dropped and Robert Williams is dropped, they're still doing a great job of not letting Trey get to the ball screen in the middle of the floor. If Trey gets there, they're really loaded up toward him, not in the way that Miami was last year, but they're still just showing a lot of bodies and taking up taking space. So the space he would want to use, they, they're taking that away. And so what do you do? You know, Trey's, you know, what, six foot, six one, whatever, you know, he, he actually is. Um, and the Celtics have big, capable, strong uh, wings that have great technique discipline. So, you know, the, in my mind, someone else has to step up. The, now, DeJounte did a, a great job for stretches of game two. The comparison is when DeJounte gets the ball in the middle, gets the ball screen, the Celtics give him the middle, and they stay glued to the shooters. You yep. know, and, and, and they're like, hey, DeJounte, you want to get to your 17-foot pull-up? You know, have fun, you know. Um, and DeJounte made made a lot of shots. It, was, you know, it might end up being his best shooting performance in the series. We'll, we'll see. But it's one of those things where it's like, I don't think Quinn and his staff going into the game are like, I want to I want to really ride Dejounte's mid range pull up, you know, and he and he's he's one of the better you know players in the league at that, but it's still not like I think what you want to kind of build the central part of your offense around, 
but the Celtics make you go to those options, you know, and, and, you know, can Trey, you know, spot up, you know, maybe, I don't know. I, it would, I would think, I think it would frustrate the heck out of him. Is he at a point where he can kind of do some of that stuff? I'm not sure. Um, you know, they could not get, you know, there between, if you look at Capella's and um, Congo's kind of com- combined shot volume, it's like nothing, you know, and, and, and you would hope in this going into the series that they could generate some shots, in the paint. I mean, the Hawks could get nothing in the paint in game two. Um, Celtics, you know, gave up a good number of shots at the three point line. The Hawks got a great volume up. But again, I think the Celtics are like, if you guys can beat us on, you know, 53 point shots or whatever, you know, then we'll, we'll see if that happens. So, but it comes back to is like, does Quinn and his staff see something that can help Trey, uh, you know, get to more of what he can do and contribute? I don't see it, but that doesn't at all mean that Quinn and his staff don't see it. So, you know, and I, I go back to, I think back to Hawks Celtics, the, um, the Bud, Bud's Hawks in uh, that series, they went up against, uh, I think IT's first year as a starter. Mm-hmm. And after the first, I can remember after the first game or second game, I can't remember which one, um, you know, Brad Stevens went to his staff. It was reported and said, I want all the ideas you have about getting Isaiah Thomas off ball. And the, and they kind of rebuilt kind of their offense around that. Now they had a different offense. They you know they ball movement and you know and, and things like that at the time, where you know it, it's it's hard to kind of ask trade to adapt that much right now. So to me, it starts with can you get Trey some you know some action that might unlock him some. And if you can't, they're going to have to ride Dejounte and Bogey, and they're just going to have to. Yeah, uh, and I don't see another way around it. Hunters, ball handling issues are showing up. You know, you know, JC's not making shots. Bay's not making really, make, really making shots in the series yet. And so right now, the the burden is if they can't help Trey kind of get unlocked, um, is going to go to Dejounte and Bogey. And I, I think they're capable guys, but it's still a big task. Yeah, I think what happened in Game Two was a very reasonable response. It wasn't necessarily them giving up on unlocking Trey, but like you just said at the end of that answer, if you just assumed that Trey's going to have a hard time, which he has in the first two games, I thought he was better in the second half of game two, but it wasn't like he was lighting it up. He was he was more conscious. He made a little bit more decision making was faster, less turnovers. Like he played better in the second half, but it wasn't like he was going off. Like he's he's bottled up, and he acknowledged it on, on the podium. I thought it was interesting. I think we all know it, but they were like, "Look," he basically said. They're loading up to me, and we expect that, but they're loading up to me. And that's that's true. Also, like, it's not a surprise. It's how anyone, I think, would guard the Hawks until they're beaten by it. And, you know, you're in this tough spot with Trey Young, and we'll avoid this rabbit hole for the most part, um, save it for later or whatever. But, like, there's this whole discussion about, you know, whether how much of this is on Trey and Trey's numbers are all – and they're awful the last two playoffs. They are. His, his numbers are awful. So it is what it is. You get graded on a, on a different curve when you are the star. That's just part of the deal. And, you know, nuance is dead, as we all know. So, but like the way they handle game two, independent of all of that, say, okay, Trey is not going to have it in the series. Even if, just, if you just assume that, which I wouldn't assume, but it's it's kind of went that way so far. It really leads you to taking a lot of threes, which they did in game two, a lot of threes from guys who are getting open shots, like Hunter and Collins and Bay and Bogey's, Bogey's hunting his more often. And it also leads you to, like you said, a lot more of Murray and Bogey. And they did that. That's that's basically what they did in game two. Um, Murray, I think, had an above-average shooting performance. Um, Bogey was Bogey in a good way. But then 
everybody else didn't shoot well. If they had shot well, like let's say Collins and Hunter shoot better than in game in game two, the game is probably close at the end in a way that it wasn't. Or like the Hawk, I think it was uh, five of twenty eight combined from three outside of Murray and Bogey, and like a lot of those are open looks. I mean the Bay, the Bay looks, the Collins looks, the, the, most of those looks are open. So I think they probably know that they're going to have to make these and ride those guys, like you said, because. Yes, there is some element of Boston kind of lets Murray do things that they're not going to let Trey do. I'm glad you said that because it's absolutely true. If you watch the way they're, they're defended, whether they're playing together or playing separately, Murray does not have the respect of Boston's defense in the way that Trey does. And I don't say that in a negative way, but they're they're game planning for Trey in a way they're not game planning for Murray, nor should they. And it's not that's not a shot to Jante. That's just what no. you should do against the Hawks. So now they've had two more days by the time they tip off on Friday to see um, if there's any more wrinkles, I, I don't, I'm not smart enough to tell you what Quinn's, what Quinn's going to do to sort of counter it. But I agree with what you said. It, it does kind of have to glean, basically lean toward the other two guys that can create their shot, which is Murray and Bogey and a little bit of Hunter, I guess. And then you get into like, can you make open threes or at least semi open threes? You know, you and I both love Collins. He can, he can't go one of seven. He's got to make shots in this series. Absolutely. He's not going to get guarded. Same with Bay. I mean, Bay was really bad in game two. Like I thought he's been playing well before that. He was not good in game two, but I don't know. It's this weird situation where I, I keep coming back. It kind of looks like game two and they lost and they lost kind of decisively, but it wasn't like they didn't make some adjustments. They did. They just kind of took what right. Boston could give them. And um, we'll get into the defense in a second too, but um, it's not, it's not fruitless. I, I do think maybe I'm naive. I feel like Trey's going to have a good game at some point, like a big explosive game, but maybe it's not this series. It's a bad matchup. I mean, Boston is just, the worst case scenario for in, for the team and also especially for Trey. They're not right. this is not Milwaukee. This is not Philadelphia from two years ago, where like he has some or even the Knicks series from two years ago, where he has like some pretty easy advantages in terms of like drop coverage and the way he's Boston's throwing everything they have at him. It's tough. Yeah, it is. It's kind of funny because the only other time Boston loads up uh towards the ball, no matter who has the ball for the Hawks, is when the Hawks are going at Hauser. They load up to help Hauser. Right? It's, it's the fi- it's, it's the five alarm fire, right? When they, yeah, and, they, it is. Thing, and I'm sure they know that it's sending the, tra- the, the Hawks do by the way with, with Trey sometimes. Absolutely, like, absolutely. Everyone's like, "Hey, we got to keep an eye on that guy." And for, right. for Boston, it's only Hauser. He's the only guy that they have to worry about. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like one time, Hunter caught Hauser on him in space, and Hunter did the thing he does where he's like, "Okay, let me take a second and kind of see what I want to do." And that was all the time Boston needed to start loading up towards him. Yep. And it was one of the times where they uh, got uh, Hunter to kind of turn his back on the team defense, and he got his, you know, uh, pocket picked. You know, uh, that's what that that might have been when I made my joke tweet about the Hawks struggling with object permanence uh, last <laughs> night. Um, but but I, th- I think they know, like, if we can get DeAndre kind of spinning and kind of going back and forth, we can attack his handle and, and go, you know, get an easy score, you know, and things like that. So it's, you know, it, it's tough. You know, is there is there something different you can do with DeAndre? They haven't posted him one time, but what is that matchup? There's not it's, one. It's Hauser. That's the only one. I mean, otherwise, right. like, I mean. But they're going to come Boston's... right in with a double, and DeAndre's got to make a decision, and that's and not his strongest that. area either. Right. Right. And, yeah, I mean, and that's the thing about this team in general is, like, Boston's guards – I mean, maybe, maybe Brogdon is like kind of a semi-target, maybe, but like smart and white, like it's not. You can't post those guys up. Like you, you can't target those guys in a lot in a way that you would be able to a lot of guards. 
and Hauser, they'll, they'll just at, at some point if it starts, they'll just stop playing Hauser. They don't have to play Hauser. They are. They don't have to. He's their eighth guy. So if, if in a second half, if if it's tight, would it surprise anyone if he didn't play? It wouldn't surprise me. So I don't know. It's there, and again, we're not we're not going to go out of our way to just keep praising Boston, but it, it really is part of this, man. I mean, I it's not satisfying for Hawks fans because look, and this is maybe a bigger picture conversation for later too, but. If you're a Hawks fan, and I try to put myself in the Hawks fan shoe every once in a while, it's like, wait, we were in the conference finals two years ago, we, it, and we are, we should be better now than we were two years ago. We're older. We've 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 invested more assets. How are we this much worse than our opponent? It, part of that's Boston's really good, but also it's a it's a fair question, and it's it, it is frustrating. I would imagine for a fan to be like, wait, the Hawks are fully healthy right now, and there's no like last year they had a lot of excuses. And they still got beaten badly by Miami, but they have a, they had a lot of realistic, like actual, real excuses. Right. They don't have yeah. this year. Yeah, but the the other thing is that the Eastern Conference has gotten so much better in two years. Yes, like it, it's night and day. Right. Yeah, Miami um, being the one seed last year. Like all respect to Miami, this Boston team is a lot better than Miami was last year. And yeah, Boston, Boston, Boston's the two seed, and I get that Miami was the one seed. This Boston team is significantly better than Miami team. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I mean, this Philly this year, probably better than Miami last year, right? Milwaukee, um, you know, probably kind of in, in that camp too. Cleveland's way better. The Knicks are way better, you know. And so you kind of you kind of see all of that. You know, I was, you know, having some conversations on, on Twitter with Hawks fans today and questions like, is Trey like, is, is Trey like checking out? I'm like, no, he's got to give the ball up. I mean, he, he you know, unless well, Quinn and his neck Right, and and so so Trey's trying to when, when Trey presses it and when is when it goes badly. That's when the turnovers and the you know the easy points of transition for the Celtics happen. And yep. so you know so the question is is like when he gives it up, what else can he do to help? And that's where you know they're going to have to kind of figure something out. That's not obvious to me. Yeah, and that's the other that's sorry. The, the the other thing is just on Hawks offense is the robert williams and al horford minutes they're on together are going way better defensively than i expected it's not that i thought it would be terrible but i thought the hawks would have a little bit more opportunity to kind of um you know a- attack uh, a little bit i'd say it was slower defense compared to like four <laughs> guards and one big it's a yeah. little slower right but those two guys have been absolute monsters they cover a lot of space their technique is great the communication is great and so I thought, you know, the Hawks would benefit by trying to force Missoula to have to play both of those guys together. And that hasn't worked out at all. So that, you know, my idea that that might be a favorable, you know, number of minutes for the Hawks has not proven to be uh, correct at all. So I, you know, I, when I look at what Boston's doing on defense, it's like, what can you go at? It's literally like, we have to focus on what they're giving us and we have to maximize what they're giving us, which is DeJounte bogey, a little bit of Hunter mixed in. Maybe try to catch, you know, Collins on a, a mismatch in the in the post now and then or something like that. But that's where this has got to be. So I think the Hawks have to build their plan going into game three around Bogey's gonna get space in the middle, DeJounte's gonna get space in the middle. Let's work with that and go from there. That's that's all that I see. Last thing on the offense I want to make sure we get to is we kind of talked about it a little bit, but you know, in reaction to what they did last year and the issues they had against Miami their big move was to go get DeJounte, right? And that obviously gives them a number, a real a real number two who can get his own shot. We saw that in game two. Last year, the Hawks had no one that could do what DeJounte did in game two. They didn't have, they, they, that, that player didn't exist, other than Trey, obviously. So now they have that. But as our as our mutual friend Andrew Kelly always points out to us, 
um, offline, this is still a Hawks team that essentially has two and a half shot creators. Like, you know, Bogey, Bogey's the third shot creator. And Bogey, when he has it, can definitely do that. But he's obviously has some, some knee issues and those things. And beyond that, you look up and down the roster and like, guys can do a little bit of stuff. But like, they don't have these, they don't have the same level of versatility on offense um, that other teams might have. And Boston's again, you're, you're, comparing, you're, you're comparing yourself to Boston, but how many guys on Boston can get can go get their own shot if they have to? It's a lot more than three. Like, you know, the only guys that can't on their roster are the bigs, really. And I guess maybe Hauser. Um, so that's part of it, too, is that you make your life a little bit easier. And that's an issue they can't fix now. That's more of a future facing issue. But it is the reality. And if you're trying to build, I'm not even trying to, def- it's not about def- quote unquote defending Trey Young because it's not. Trey's not playing well. He's not played well in the last two playoffs. At some point, there has to be criticism for that. And I've, I've given plenty of it. It is what it is. But it does make you a lot easier to guard in a playoff setting against a team like this when the release valves are just not that good. And you're playing two, prop- two guys at least at a time that are not threats unless they're play finishing. And that's fine. It's hard to build a roster. Like it's really hard to build a contending level roster, but you know, that's, that's part of the reality. And, you know, I'm not trying to pick on Hunter too much, but Hunter's are starting small forward and we laughed about it earlier, but he can't make a decision. Like he, he can't handle the ball and he can't make a decision. Like that's, that's tough. I mean, he can get his own shots sometimes, but if he's out there with the starters and bogey's not, you really have two creators and you have your best defenders are your bigs who are not creators either. But they're and you need them. I mean, the only guy I, I looked this up today, the only guy on the roster that has a positive plus minus in the series is John Collins. The only guy. And it's like it's like plus two. It's not it's not it's not it's yeah. not a big number. So he's, but like, he's been the best defender in this for them in the series. So I think he has been too. I mean, and the centers, it's a tough matchup for the centers. We'll, we'll sort of get into the defense now, I guess, too. Clint and Onyeka are doing what they can do. They're, it's not their fault. They're both playing fine. I thought Onyeka was struggling in game one and he was much better in game two. Clint's been doing everything he can possibly do, I think, in the series. He's not doing anything wrong. But if Boston's playing five out, you can't just stick Clint Onyeka in their normal spot near the rim. And, you know, that, that gets into to our ever-evolving question about the perimeter defense, which we, I think, both touched on today on Twitter and other places. Like, I've been saying it all year. It's their biggest problem. You could argue offense has been a bigger problem than defense in this series, and I wouldn't necessarily disagree with you because, um, you know, of all the numbers out there, but when Boston has had it going in the series and playing five out, they're also getting anything they want to. I mean, anything they want to an offense pretty much at all the times. And I still think like big picture, maybe in the series, but especially long-term season, that's still your problem. I mean, offensively, there are plenty of questions about whether this team can sort of get to that level in the playoffs, but defensively, I mean, when the other team is again, Boston's loaded, but they have so many issues and it becomes a problem where you just cannot stay in front of anybody. And Tatum gets by Hunter and Brown. They got no way to guard Jalen Brown and Derek White's going whenever he wants to go. And um, I talked about it with actually Jay King of the athletic who covers the Celtics. I don't think, I don't think Boston's even done like the super target Trey young offense yet when they, which they probably could do. And they haven't they've done it a little bit, but I'm expecting, and this is not, maybe this is my fatalism. Like if, if it's, if it's a tight game in the fourth quarter, do you expect them to just be like, hey, we're going to go at Trey every play? Because I kind of yes. do. Yeah. And they haven't done that yet. Yeah. Yeah. In the regular season, they ran basically two actions to do that. One was a simple pin down on Trey's man and bump Trey to the middle of the court, 
curl from the pin down and go right at the paint. Or the, on the left side, they like the away action, which is two screeners from a guy lifting from the corner, trapping Trey inside all that action and cutting him there. They haven't seen it one time. If if there is, you know, uh, you know, a tie game with a minute and a half to go, you know, in game three, that we're probably going to see that, you know, and you know, and the Celtics are probably like that's our little, uh, you know, ace in our back pocket that we have right now. Now, can the Hawks be prepared for that and handle it you know, better than they did in the regular season game? Sure, but you know, yeah. for me, I, you know, I I hear a lot of noise from Hawks fans about the defense. First of all, their defense in the first for the first nine minutes of the game was excellent. Right. It was. It was so, good. <laughs> and to me, when they lost, kind of lost their footing on defense was when the Celtics got a couple of transition buckets. And if you're going to be a semi-serious playoff team and you're playing good half-court defense, you can't let a, a couple of possessions of adversity where uh, your a turnover of yours turns into an easy bucket for them. Be like, okay, well, we're just going to stop doing all that good stuff we were doing in the defensive half-court now. You've got to stay on plan. And, and that just takes a team going through like a grueling series like this against, you know, I think most, like if you go look at like, a, you know, opportunities to kind of bet who's going to win it all. I think, I think Boston has the best odds in, in almost all the outlets and everything. So, you know, so, so they're good, but Hawks getting beat on cuts. It's like, it's not as simple as like the Hawks getting caught flat footed. That's not what's happening. Right. So the Celtics run a lot of action where, for example, Trey, they know Trey's going to show and clear if, if his man is the screener. And Trey loads up towards that screen, prepares to show, have an impact on the ball handler, clear. You got to make sure he has a path to clear out. And the Celtics are so smart and so instinctive that as soon as Trey starts loading towards that ball screen, his man cuts to the rim and he's why, you know. So it's, it's not like Trey's just like standing there with his hands in his pocket and you're not <laughs> doing anything. He's trying to prepare for this action that the Celtics use that puts a ton of pressure of you to, uh, on you to be ready to execute around that ball screen or whether it's a screen off ball. And I mean, it's a little bit like this. The Warriors have been over these years where if you start over leveraging yourself to the three point line, they take advantage of you use a cutter, I think DHO or whatever, and get right to the run. It, it's, it, I mean, that's not to say that the Hawks is not fi- fair to critique the Hawks for not covering both. But I think, I just think that, if there are observers or fans or whatever thinking like, oh, the Hawks are just kind of getting caught standing around being indifferent. That's not what's happening, no. right? Yeah, I, I agree. I go wholeheartedly. And obviously you're you're deeper into the the scheme stuff than I am. But I, I don't see a lack of effort. Like there's this notion out there, and I've done this right before. I'll do it again quickly now, that defense is all, is quote unquote, all effort. And at the NBA level, that's just, it's just not true. You have to have effort, but it's personnel. Number one, guys can only do what they what they can do, and also it's scheme. Like you can play really hard defensively and not play well defensively. It's very possible. It happens all the time in the NBA. Um, and I think in the I mean, yeah, are they? You know, the mental side. Glad you brought that up too. Like the mental focus side, not getting out of sorts. That is not effort related, I don't think. But it does. Maybe you put that kind of closer to that column. And like the Hawks have struggled with that at times. They've not been the most mentally tough team i don't think um as far as like staying attuned to what they have to do that that's a re- that's a very reasonable critique for sure but i don't i don't think that there's a the hawks don't care or the hawks are not getting effort defensively that's not really what i see at all um are there plays i'm sure you can find a play every once in a while where a guy just like kind of shuts off and that happens but i don't think it's been a problem i think it's a combination of we've said this a lot for a long time they don't have the greatest personnel on the perimeter that's a big issue and then they also, 
uh, have to just kind of stay attuned to what they're doing because, but you're right. I mean, to be positive for a second, like they've had eight minute stretches in the series where they played really good defensively. Second half yeah. of game one, they played very well defensively. Um, so they can do it. You know, you're never going to be perfect over 48 minutes against this Boston team, but you got to, you know, commit to what you're doing and also, you know, individual responsibility. And I think that's something that even Nate used to talk about all the time, but Quinn's talked about it too. Like you got to be able to stay in front of your guy. This is the NBA. The schemes, the scheme stuff matters too. But if you're, let's not even use Trey, let's use DeJounte or we use Bogey or whoever. Like you got to, if, if DeJounte can't slide with Malcolm Brogdon or Derek White, like it just, you're, you're not, you're not gonna be able to win the series. I mean, if it's, it's one thing if it's Tatum making tough jump shots over you, you got to tip your cap at some point. It hasn't been a lot of that. Boston hasn't, hasn't had to make a lot of tough shots in this series. And they haven't even shot that. I mean, they shot well, but it's like, you know, people, somebody asked me this today. Do you think Boston shot over their heads in this series? I kind of don't think so on their shot quality. Maybe a yeah. little, for stretches, maybe, but like they're getting a lot of layups and a lot of open shots <laughs> yeah. and they're going to make yeah. them. Yeah. And they, I think if there's one area, there's been times when, they're making shots near the rim that are heavily contested and they're just doing a great job of converting. Yeah, them, that's true. Right. That's true. Agreed. And then there's, there was a, like a short stretch of the game in game two where Tatum was, you know, just getting to a step back in a fairly, fairly contested step back and he was just knocking it down. I mean, well, he's the top 10 player in the league. Like that's, I mean, that's the thing. Like he's, he, he's a... going to get, he's going to get MVP votes. You know? Yeah. He's, he is. I mean, if he, if he's the guy doing that, you, you kind of have to just tip the cap. I mean, if it's somebody else, yeah. I mean, I guess maybe Brown somewhat in that level. So, I mean, uh, the the complaints start if like if Derek White's hitting twenty eight footers contested, then okay, then you then you're gonna kind of be frustrated by that. But with Brown and Tatum, like that's part of why they're really good is that those guys can do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. As I watch, as I kind of rewatch Game Two, and and I'm I'm looking at Derek White drive over and over and over getting wherever he wants you know I, I i start to get curious like are we going to see aaron holiday in the series right on offense i, I he had can, the same thought i swear to god i had the yeah. same thought <laughs> on, on offense he's a good catch and shoot guy you need that right on defense he's um strong but the Celtics, the celtics wings and guards are big they're too so big, yeah. The, yeah the question i have is like are they just gonna post marcus smart on him or you know as Marcus Smart is good in the post, you know, you know, you know, so, but, but it's, but the Hawks are in a situation where they may need to say like, let's see how this goes, you know, and let, or, or AJ, I mean, Hawks fans right. want to see Griffin and I, and I get why. And yeah. you and I have pointed out in different ways, like it's the defense that they're worried about. Everyone kind of, I think understands that if they don't, we'll just tell you again, that's why he's not playing. Um, right. But they might try it at some point, maybe at home. I mean, he's a rookie a lot of times in these series, like more fringy young guys, teams will be more willing to try them at home because they're yeah. more comfortable. Um, and maybe we yeah, get a four-minute A.J. Stanton in the first yeah. half. For me, if A.J.'s in the rotation, Jalen's out. That That's the move that Quinn's And Okay, so I, I want I, I know what you mean by that, but I want you to explain it because I, I said something similar to that to someone on Twitter, and they didn't understand what I meant, and I had a hard time explaining it to him. So when you say that, is it because they can't play together in your mind? Is that what, Is that why you're saying that? No, I think the first idea is that um, Jalen's just not being respected as a three-point shooter. That's number one. At all. Right? Yeah. Right. Number two, he's he's made enough mistakes. Like, he's had a – like, in game one, he had a few, you know, nice moments. In game two, he was just mostly lost the whole time he was on the court. And that's why he didn't play anymore. They pulled him, and that was right. the right move. I think, right. So. And so, so the Hawks need to put more shooting on the court. 
you don't really lose that much size. I mean, Jalen's a really good rebounder, but that's not really showing up in this matchup, right, so much. It did a little bit in game one. Um, and so if Jalen is not positioned to kind of do the things that he does well, and he's struggling to adjust his game to this environment in this setting, then maybe just putting a guy who can, like, knock down shots and has some size to work with on defense, maybe that's that's the way to go. So for me, it's the, the – AJ, yes. Jayla, no. If that's the way they go, it's all about the shot making to me. Yeah. And, you know, we saw it's hard to tell how much of it was because they were behind and how much of it was because Quinn wanted to use that line. But they went a lot smaller in the second half of game two and they went with more shooting. Um, you kind of called it before it even happened that they had to ride bogey as long as they could because he it was their only option um, beyond DeJon. Like just having bogey out there as kind of the he was playing the three by default, basically. Um, and with Bay, they can put lineups out there or Hunter at the four or whatever that have four shooters. Um, and that is, you know, and, and I think that Collins is not a non-shooter. He's being guarded more than Jalen, but, you know, they're letting him shoot whatever he wants from three-point range, basically. Um, and that's the right move. It's, so far, it's worked for Boston. I think that Collins might have a game where he makes five out of six. He did that a few times in the second half of the season. That might happen, but Boston's going to make him do that, I think. Um, and really same for Hunter. They're not like giving Hunter quite as much space as JC, but I think Boston's pretty okay with Hunter shooting, it seems like. Um, so to have Griffin is more a guy that Boston, I, I think even as a rookie, I feel like Boston would probably be more reactionary to AJ as a spot-up guy than they would be to anybody other than Bogey on the roster. Yeah, I, I agree. And if you kind of replay in your mind the shots that Bogey, the threes that Bogey got, the threes that DeJounte got, Right, and you think about the misses that JC had, the misses that Bay had. To me, the reason those catch and shoot guys, the guys who aren't going to create their own three, right, is Trey is not on his normal angles, right, and so their the, the connectivity is not quite there. They're not catching it on time in the normal rhythm of the office because the Boston is just throwing all of that off t- the timing off completely, and it's hard as a guy who catches with the rhythm to shoot the ball. And in my mind, that's probably the primary reason, uh, you know, Bay and JC, JC struggled, you know, most of the season, but I I think that there's an aspect to the timing is just off on all that sort of stuff. But if you think bogey will have a guy on his, in his face at the three point line, take a dribble, a step and a half back and put up a 28 footer with confidence. He, he can do that confidently and competently, which is kind of what you have to have against the Celtics. DJ would find his man dropped and say, okay, I'm just going to step right up to the three-point line and put a, a basically an uncontested shot up. They were, they're giving that to DeJounte. AJ has that relocation dribble. AJ maybe can get uh, his man uh, leaning backward a little bit, not backpedaling, but leaning back and kind of get to that step back a similar technique that bogey uses and so maybe they're gonna maybe with that kind of lineup construction they're gonna be able to do that um and and if if dj is um if they come up a little bit more on dj as a result of making some threes i think that would that be having aaron out there as a catch and shoot guy i I think could be a difference maker is aaron holiday like an obvious solution here no there's downside to that too there's downside to aj being on the court but you could, in my mind, you can kind of see some logic into why Quinn might go that direction. Yeah, and I heard the same thing. Similar, not necessarily the same reasoning as Aaron Holiday, but Garrison Matthews for the same reasons. Uh, you know, that's another guy that always a couple of people ask me, like, why not Garrison Matthews? I'm like, well, it's kind of the same problem as AJ. He's a little bit smaller than AJ. Um, 
maybe a little. I, I think Matthews is probably a more attentive defender. He just has less physical tools. So it's like same similar issues. And you know, not to go back to what we talked about earlier, but you know, their best offensive lineup, as long as Bogey is the good version of Bogey physically that night, has Trey Dejounte and Bogey. And I think we kind of all understand what that is on defense. Like if you're playing those guys on offense together, the three of them, it doesn't matter who's at the four and the five, you're going to be vulnerable defensively. And yep. it's okay. They did that at the end of the game and they should have, cause they were, you know, when you're down, when you're down 10 with whatever it is, five minutes to go, you, you, you want variance and that's fine. My question, I'm not even saying it's a concern. My question is can and will they do that in a close game, knowing that, you know, you kind of have to assume that Boston's going to score against that lineup because why wouldn't they? I mean, they're, they're scoring against better lineups than that. I mean, the Hawks' starting lineup is a lot better defensively than that group's going to be, and Boston's still scoring. So you're picking your poison. That there's None of these are great solutions. <laughs> we kind of all know that. But um, I do think that the Hawks probably need to maybe lean a little a – little, I mean, it, hurts, it hurts my soul, Glenn. You know how I feel about defense. I feel like the Hawks yeah. probably need to lead, probably lean offense just because when you're the underdog, the variance, you, you kind of just hope Boston has some – bad offensive moments at some point because yeah, yeah, I think their, yeah. defense, their defense is safer than their offense. Yeah, yeah but, the, but there are some things in the margins you can do to help yourself. If you if you have to roll out a, a, a offensively, you know, um, focused lineup, you got to get every defensive rebound. You get and, five they, guys and, they've done, and they've done well on that, actually, in this series. Yeah. Five guys have to be rebounding on every missed shot, right? You Even if, you, if your closeout doesn't get all the way there, Effort in your closeouts, communication, connectivity, helping each other. Um, the guy one pass away from the ball being dropped at just the right distance and into the you know. So you can, if your technique is like, okay, we're gonna we need to be like we're a plus 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 on all of these things. If we're gonna make that work, it's hard to do that for like twelve minutes, a whole quarter. But if you're like, okay, I need four minutes or five minutes of that. Let's really you know, bring all of our effort and focus on defense for this period of time. Whereas, you know, human beings just can't, you know, do that over. I mean, unless you're like some like, you know, unless you're Bill Russell, like that kind of level person that's just an right. outlier kind of in that sense. So, but the other, the other kind of adjustment, uh, and this is, this is fun to kind of think about what Quinn might be thinking about is, you know, they closed both games with JC at the five. And, yep. and I'm curious, you know, and I think JC being at the five when Robert Williams is on, especially if it's Williams plus Horford is not viable. No. Um, but, but I wonder if Quinn might go to that a little, a little bit sooner as well. You know, JC covers ground as a help defender. Well, his timing is great there and stuff like that. It, it kind of sucks that he didn't get a ton of reps at the five this year to kind of build up a little bit more, it's just a, a number of reps with a lineup that with him at the five that has some experience kind of playing together. So again, it's kind of a, you know, turning to something that you ha they haven't used much this year, but, you know, I, and I understand the concept. I mean, every coach in the league goes smaller and puts more shooting on the court when they're down 10 points with four minutes to go or whatever, 15 points, you know, whatever. But I, but I just wonder like, is, is Quinn like, okay, we're, we're at a point where we have to um, try some things that has some upside and some downside and seeing if we can kind of make that work for us. That's Aaron, maybe is that AJ, maybe is that JC at the five before the, the, the closing stretch when they're down, maybe all of that. Do they, do they have something that I'm not thinking of to help Trey get something going on offense? If not, you just ride DJ and bogey and maybe some AJ kind of in the space that the bottom silks give them. That's where my head is kind of going into game three on uh, defense is, 
if you have some sustained play like they did in the first quarter of game two, can you not get so knocked off kilter if you have a couple of bad possessions? You know, can you kind of get back on plan? To me, those are the areas where the Hawks have to kind of find something that works, stick with it, deal with adversity a little better, even though, again, they're doing it better than they did against Miami last year. It's still got to be better against the Celtics team. So those that's kind of all of where my head is uh, going to game three, and uh, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, uh, we definitely agree. And, you know, it's it's delicate on how you message it to your team if you're Quinn Snyder. But I think having a, whether it's a spoken or unspoken, understanding that you're the underdog and being aggressive as a result of that um, is something that I think is the right decision. I think the Hawks trying, just trying things. And it's not flippant. It's calculated. You're doing things for a reason. You're not just changing things to change them, but being a little bit more aggressive than you would be. Like not just doing what some coaches do, just like kind of like, let's do our, let's do our thing and figure it out kind of thing. Like, I don't think you can really do that in the series. If you're the Hawks down, especially, especially down, down two. Um, and also like, this is a topic we can, we can avoid for now, but like the bench units, like the four bench units are not working in this series. Like they've been, they've been brutal in both games. And I don't know if it's just a small sample size issue. Maybe you do a little bit less of that. Maybe you kind of intersperse them a little bit more lineup tweaks. Um, we saw that Quinn is willing and able to excise guys like Jalen didn't play all in the second half. And I think Bay played like four minutes in the second half, something like that. So like they, they're already kind of doing it a little bit. They're doing the playoff stuff that you see. They're, they're changing. They're not hesitating to change things. I'm not, I don't think, I don't think it'll be a starting lineup change because sometimes that's what teams do when they're in this kind of situation. The Hawks have been so firm with their group all year long that I'll be surprised if they changed it, but I won't be shocked. You know what I mean? Like, and it, if this is a regular season game, they would never change it. But you, this is the, if you're ever going to do something like that, that's a little bit different. It doesn't mean like you're demoting anybody. Like just teams, the playoffs are different. You're playing one opponent over and over again. You're down 0-2. I don't even know what, what the change would be. Maybe it's just to get bogey in there or something like that. But yep. I don't know. It's, it's like, don't be shy is what I would say. He's not been so far. No, he won't be. And and like, what would that lineup change look like? It's like, well, if, if they were playing well, it might be getting him in there. Right. right? I, I, right. I almost said that, I was, but he's not playing well. So it's like, it's the same thing with Jalen right. Johnson. It's like, people are calling for Jalen Johnson. It's like, guys, have you, have you watched Jalen Johnson? I'm, I'm, I'm not being it's, rude, but Jalen's not been good in the series. He's not been. It, 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 I'm excited about Jalen's future, but Me this too. is tough. This is a tough, tough task for him. And the other thing is, I know Hawks fans often want JCB, the guy, the first guy that's pulled. I'll continue to say he's been their best defender in this series. Well, I so, said earlier, like you know, again, I, I don't love plus minus in this small of a sample size, but he literally is their only guy in the positive net rating in the series. So I don't think it's I think his offensive foibles, like the shooting, hurt them in game two. But like he was far from the only one that was missing and, shots in game two. So. And and those are the things that jump out the fans. Like, oh my god, he missed missed open shots. Yeah. Right. Agreed. Right. Definitely. And I, and, and I get it, and I understand that. And, and same with the, with the turnovers with Hunter. I mean, the way that Hunter played, uh, he had a, he had some high profile mishaps. He was better in game two than he was in game one by a lot. But um, you know, it's the stuff that you're. I and mean, even with Trey, I mean, to go full circle, I think Trey had some memorable mistakes and like stuff that jumps out to fans is stuff that you can see in the box score. It's stuff that you can see with your eyes and like you know, you might have a very different reaction to a defensive breakdown than a fan's going to. And I, I get that. It's not everybody, – everybody watches the game differently. I don't watch the game the same way you do because you see things that I'll, that I'll never see live, no question. So, like, we're all viewing it from our own standpoint. But I do think the Hawks will be more competitive to bring it all 
Like I, I said it before, but I do think the Hawks are going to be in a game, like really in a game, at least one of these two, maybe both. And if they lose yeah. both, it won't surprise me. But like my only surprise in the whole series, I'm calling it now, will be if the Hawks get blown out in the next two games. I'll be I'll be pretty shocked if they're not at least like in a tight one at some point Friday or Sunday. Yeah. And and I I've said this on Twitter. I I think I said it um on the pod with Kevin, but I won't say it again, but you know, there's a lot of positive from that. Even if the Hawks get swept, right? Um the Hawks as an organization need to see what this team can and can't do. We talked earlier about the fact that with JC and Hunter and Clint it's hard in this that group the roster they have capable of producing a f- top five offense across the regular season, we know that, right? Yep. You get you trying to build a team that can go two rounds, three rounds deep, whatever in the playoffs. This is what you encounter, and this is a different feedback loop, and you have to see it. So the limitations, and you know, and, and our, you mentioned earlier, Andrew you know, Harp said all the time, and he's exactly right. There's not enough creation at, in the front court. There's not enough ball healing in the front court when you're going up against a top three defense for a seven game series. It's a totally different thing than the regular season where you're just kind of going game to game to game to game to game and that sort of thing. And, and, and I I know Quinn gets that, you know, it's a new front office. I don't really know what the baseline expectations on there, but (laughs) seeing, seeing this, experiencing this, even if you're like, Oh man, the Celtics broke us. How do they break it? Break us? Where are we not able to kind of do things we really needed to do? That's a really precious, valuable feed, feedback loop. That's a positive opportunity, something to take from this that hopefully informs where they take the roster in the future. And so, even if they get swept, I, and I know you know me, Brad. I'm a positive person. I, <laughs> I believe in positive energy, all that sort of stuff. This is a wonderful opportunity. The fact that they won the play on. In my mind, the fact that they're facing the Celtics is better than if they were facing, say, Philly or or Milwaukee, um, because this is a test to see, like, okay, you know, we can produce a 18th ranked defense or whatever and a third ranked offense in the regular season. We get into this element, we can't do half the stuff we do in the regular season. Why is that? Okay, now what have we learned about ourselves? That's a really precious opportunity, and and that's why I'm so glad they they're in the playoffs, not in the lottery. Getting this feedback is 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 really really important, and hopefully they make the most of it. Yeah, that last part's crucial. You know, taking the information that you get from the series, win or lose, how many games it takes, all that. Like, it is instructive because you know, on one hand, I think that they, they would have had a better chance to win the series against a team like Milwaukee or Philly. Now they would have been underdogs, but it's a good point that you're making. Like, take a step back or two steps back and say organizationally, what might help you more. Um, a six-game loss to Milwaukee, or 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 this series against Boston, that like you know exposes the words that's going in my mind. I'm not, I'm not sure it's exposed, but like just shows you what you can and can't do, like you said. And an opponent that yeah, they're awesome, but this is the time. This is the kind of team that you're, you're going to have to beat to do what you want to do at some point in the next three or four years. We're trying to be trying to be a title contender. Here it is. You got to beat a team like this. So exactly right. yeah, it's pretty interesting to see. We'll have plenty of time to talk about the offseason when we get there. But hopefully, this is a, sort of an informative conversation about what the next two games might look like and maybe even more than two games. They can steal one of these at home, maybe even both of these. I won't be surprised if it's two, two. I'm sure yep. national people would be shocked. I would be, uh, I wouldn't pick them to finish to, to be two, two at this point, nope. but uh, I, I think it's, I think it's plausible in a way that people probably don't nationally. So that's yeah. my positive. Like, li- li- likely, this is, likely this is a split. <laughs> 
Second likeliest is probably the Boston wins two games. The I agree. I think I agree with exactly that. I think I would I would at this point, Boston and five is probably what I would pick in the series. Yep. I think four is probably more likely than six, but we will see. Um, and there, it's not it's not over yet, Glenn. To to, to sort of borrow from your positivity, I am not a positive person <laughs> inherently in the way that you are. So you, you're a good influence on me, Glenn. Uh, anything to plug? I know you and Kevin talked. I have not listened to that show. I always listen to you guys. I did not listen to that show yet because I was talking to you. I didn't, I didn't want to spoil it and have that have that Kevin voice in my head during yeah. this podcast. But what's going yeah, on? Yeah, so I mean, there are my handles right there for those folks on YouTube at Wilson is for Glenn. Um, you know, there'll there'll be a breakdown coming of this game. I'm hoping tomorrow evening some video. It, it, it may not be the full thing. We're in the middle of our work week too, so um, yeah. there you go. Uh, and then Kevin ATL on 29. You know, it, it's funny, kind of. It's, it's been fun. And I know I said this a little bit last time we talked, but you know. With Kevin last night, with you tonight, like I'm having to learn how to be, I'm learning how to develop an inner Brad Roland and learn how to say different <laughs> stuff on podcasts that are 19 hours apart. So it's, uh, it's, been, it's, cha- it's been a challenge, it's but it's, it's similar kind of the Hawks challenge. This has been a good challenge for me to learn how to, you know, have more talking points and, and know how to kind of, you know, get off of my top three things I want to talk about and, and go a little deeper and offer some variety like you have to do every day. Yeah, no, I, I appreciate that. And, uh, you know, you and I, I, I have I have notes when I talk, you know, when I have by myself, I have a lot, a lot, a lot of notes because you kind of just have to because you're talking to yourself and you can't stop. But uh, I have my notes and then inevitably you and I get to places that I would not anticipate us going, <laughs> which is part of the fun of this conversation. Absolutely. And I appreciate you having me, having me, appreciate you being here, Glenn. Uh, thank you for doing this. Uh, as for everybody else, I have a bit of a conflict on Friday night, but I'll be keeping tabs on the game. That'll be the next podcast after game three sometime maybe overnight into Saturday. So follow Glenn's work. Follow, I guess, that Kevin Chenard guy if you want to, ATL on 29. Also, <laughs> this podcast, subscribe as well. And we'll see you all later in the week and then uh, after game.